Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast. It's the end of an era for both ESPN and NBCSN when it comes to soccer coverage. More details on Fox's shocking acquisition of European Championship rights. A popular soccer presenter calls it a day. You, the listeners, share your opinions about national TV ratings for MLS, plus anticipation is building for the big announcement from the Premier League. On the panel today, we have Kartik Krishnaya and Kyle Fansler. My name is Christopher Harris. It's the calm before the storm. We're recording this on uh, Thursday, uh, the day before uh, Friday, November the 5th, which for if you're in England, you're celebrating Guy Fawkes Day. But for those of us in the United States, the anticipation is building. This is the deadline for the broadcasters to submit their uh, bids and proposals to the Premier League uh, in England. And then probably what usually happens in in these scenarios is um, they look at the bids, look at, look at the proposals, but it's rare that they will uh, decide on a winner after the first round. Sometimes it goes to a second round uh, and the anticip- anticipation builds even more. Uh, Kartika, since we've recorded this podcast since, since last week, any any change in the feeling of you mean maybe who's getting perhaps a little bit uh, more likely to get the rights, or, or is it still at this point? Uh, I mean, even even the the TV companies don't know, right? I mean, it's it's sealed bids; they don't know what the other parties are bidding. What's your consensus? Before, I mean, I don't think that there's going to be. Uh, any more surprises it's a matter of who has the bandwidth to show these matches and who has the uh the the, the cash resources and and truly who it's important to i mean the, the 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 bottom line is this um that's a that's a heck of a lot of an investiture if you're an american television company for a foreign sports property which numbers may or may not justify uh, spending that kind of money. So uh, that's uh, the decision that has to be made. And we don't know how ESPN already is viewing La Liga, given that they laid out all the money they did uh, to, to take those, those rights over eight years. And um, again, we don't, we're not aware of how many people are watching ESPN Plus. And that's part of the problem when things are on uh, services that aren't Nielsen rated. We just don't get that information. Same, same thing with Serie A with CBS. So uh, depending on how those two properties are doing for those uh, media companies, Chris, at this point, I think may determine what kind of bid they put in today for the Premier League. Yeah, part of that, though, Kartik, is that I don't think that um, the actual streaming numbers are that important in terms of the, the viewership. It, it is important, but ESPN Plus, uh, ESPN, is in the acquisition uh, game. They're, they're trying to acquire as many subscribers as possible. They're looking at that overall number as far as like, the number of subscribers that they have. And, and if they do get the Premier League... How does that uh, increase? Well, the likelihood that that'll increase their view, their subscriber numbers. So, so I think for them that that's the metric that they're uh, focusing on. Now, Kyle, uh, on Wednesday, Fox announced the uh, officially that they've acquired the rights to the um, European Championships. We'll get into that a little bit later. But um, 
what it mean, what it does mean is that ESPN no longer has the rights to the uh, European Championships. So ESPN has had the rights since 2008, all the way through to, to Euro 2020. So in some ways, maybe ESPN was saying like, you know, yeah, UEFA competitions are great, but uh, the big kahuna is the Premier League. What's your take on that? Do you, do you think ESPN possibly is, uh, you mean, kind of let, letting the Euros uh, go by uh, with the hopes that they'll get the the Premier League? Yeah, I think there's definitely a, a give and take that they have to consider. So I think they're going to, I think you're right, they might be giving up a certain asset in order to increase their likelihood of maybe getting another one. And the Premier League, as we know, is the biggest league in the U.S. in terms of, in terms of viewership, or at least the biggest European league in terms of viewership in the U.S., and I think just the, the ability to be able to have a lead that happens every year as opposed to the European Championships, which are obviously every four years, or at least they, they should be every four years. I don't know. We got the biennial World Cup. You never know what's going to happen. But back to the Premier League, um, I just think that the ability to be able to have something that happens so consistently and already has such a big viewership base, um, I think they're trying to open up their opportunities. So maybe save a little bit of money by getting out of the European Championship and the international side of things and get more into the club side. Uh, they already do have the rights to certain championship games, the FA Cups, so who knows, maybe it's just them trying to get a bigger uh, footprint inside of the English game as a whole. Yeah, I, I guess I guess in some ways, Kartik, let's go, actually, let's go straight into the TV streaming news. There wasn't a lot to talk about from what we've been watching this past week in terms of anything controversial or anything that stood out. Uh I mean, I think the news is really kind of, and we've already talked about a couple of the items, but the news is really kind of what's uh, t- taking uh, center stage this week. So, so Kartik, I'll have you uh, kick it off with the uh, the first news item. Yeah, so NB- NBCSN uh, is going to go dark on uh, December 31st, which means USA Network will carry a triple header of Premier League games on January 1st, uh, which is the next day, obviously, uh, starting at 7 a.m., uh, Arsenal hosting Manchester City that morning, uh, 7 a.m. Eastern Time, 12 p.m. Uh, British Standard Time kickoff. Those games would start at 7 a.m. Eastern, will begin a year where USA Network will carry more than 1,500 hours of sports programming that formerly had been seen on NBCSN. NBC Sports execs believe the move will lead to USA becoming the top-rated sports and entertainment uh, channel on cable. Uh, I should point uh, point out uh, before we discuss this further that there is no guarantee that all of the Premier League matches that were on SN will be moved to USA. Now we know obviously January 1st all of them, which is a holiday by the way, uh, have been moved uh, to, uh, to, to, to USA. We don't know if that's going to be the, the routine on Saturday and Sunday mornings and we'll wait to see if that is the case or if those games get bumped to Peacock or CNBC. There's also talk of uh, E-Network showing some, uh, some Premier League matches potentially so that's uh, another NBC Universal channel, Comcast channel that they have uh, in reserve if needed. This is a, g- a good one to have Kyle on the show um, because Kartik, you and I have kind of a a history with NBCSN. You mean a, a good history? But but Kyle, for you being a little bit younger, I mean, what does NBCSN say to you? I mean, if it's going away, uh, is that a big deal? But also, you mean, what is NBCSN to you? Uh, NBCSN for me was always well. A it was the home of of hockey. Well, it was versus, and then NBCSN, and then by the same token, it was always the home of the Premier League. I I mean, I think going back to 2013 when they acquired the rights, I was just getting into high school, so that was really when I started to get into more of the the watching soccer side. So it was always the place to go if I wanted to watch soccer because I couldn't watch. Uh, La Liga, because we didn't have uh, BN Sports, uh, I could watch, you know, certain leagues, but uh, at that time, you know, the Premier League's the league that everybody wanted to watch, so uh, I would always just jump over to NBCSN, I could always count on them having uh, three or four games a weekend, and so, yeah, it's just, uh, it'll be different, because, uh, you know, I, I, I watch games on USA Network, but still, NBCSN for me has always been kind of the, the hub for the Premier League, so, uh, yeah, should be interesting. Uh, I'm curious, can I ask a question? Uh, when it says going dark, um, if you have a cable provider and NBCSN has a, like a channel location, what, what happens to the channel? Does it just go away or what, what's, what happens when it goes dark? 
Yeah, that's a great question because there hasn't been much discussion about that. I mean, there's been... So in the past, like say, going back many years ago now, Kartik probably remembers the exact date with his uh, encyclopedic memory. But when Fox Soccer Channel shut down after they lost the rights to the Premier League, um, it went dark and it it later became... It was 2012, maybe? It later became... um, Was it the Speed Channel? No, no, it became, it became FXX, uh, which was the second FX, which is now a, uh, a Disney channel. So, um, so, but you made a good, a good point, Chris, about speed and fuel. Speed simultaneously the same day became FS1, and fuel simultaneously the same day became FS2. Uh, there was a direct transition. I mean, it happened, as Kyle, Kyle mentions, with Versus, uh, versus becoming uh, uh, NBCSN at some point, or did it become the Comcast Sports Network maybe in between? I, I can't remember. But there, there was this kind of seamless transition of channels. Uh, but sometimes the cable provider just um, kills the channel. So uh, going dark, literally, if you have, uh, for example, NBCSN is channel 220 on DirecTV. 220 might just be an empty channel for um, the next month or two after that until they find another channel to replace it. That's, uh, that, that, that's an interesting one. I'm trying to think of yeah. other transitions. America's but, Talking. Now I'm dating myself. America's Talking, which was a channel run by Roger Ailes, became MSNBC. Do you remember that? Wow. So you're dating yourself also. That no, became no, no. MSNBC. Ne- 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 I've never heard of that one. You've never heard of that one. No. Okay, that became MSNBC kind of simultaneously on June 1st, 1996, I think it was, or July 1st, 1996. So there have been these like changes, and the speed and fuel one to FS1 and FS2 was in 2013, August 2013. That's the most recent example. Although I suppose there probably have been other... Uh, other times this has happened, but a channel actually being killed, now that I think about it, is really rare. Generally, it transitions to something else. We've had a proliferation of more and more cable channels. So that's a great question, Kyle, because I don't, I'm not, as we're going through this, Chris and Kyle, I don't remember many channels actually being killed. They've been transitioned to something else, but channels haven't disappeared. So this I, and it appears like NBC Universal has no plan to transition into an entertainment channel or a news channel or something else, right? They uh, right. Uh, NBC yeah, now I has guess, a million streaming channels too. So yeah, on, on January first, if you if you tune into NBCSN or what was NBCSN, uh, there'll be a title screen or a title page. It'll say, okay, Premier League games now on USA Network. Tune in from seven till you know the, the, the triple header. So how long that will stay there, and uh, we, we'll have to wait and see. That, that's a great question. But it, it is one of those things, though, that uh, even NBCSN, NBCSN used to be NBC Sports Network, and then before that it was the Outdoor Life Network. And right. when, the, when NBC, uh, NBC Sports announced that they had acquired the rights to the Premier League, and the, the deal was done in 2012, it began in 2013, when the announcement was made... Uh, they said, okay, the Outdoor Life Network will become NBC, uh, NBC Sports Network. And for probably for the first few weeks, I actually watched Outdoor Life Network. I'm like, okay, what is this all about? I've never seen this channel, never knew it existed. And, and that just goes to show how much the Premier League really, and, and NHL, of course, put this channel on the map. Because, you mean, Outdoor Life Network, I don't think many of us were watching that. Uh, I think these days, if you mention NBCSN, most sports fans, I would imagine, would would know it, would know of it, maybe don't watch it all the time. But uh, losing NHL and, and then possibly, possibly uh, losing the Premier League, we'll have to wait and see in the next couple of weeks. But... Um, two big hits there and uh, yeah. potentially potentially killing this channel S- similar story with me chris i mean i had never uh yeah i'm not a, a hockey fan so i had never heard of versus uh, to be honest with you which i seems really strange in retrospect i should have had some awareness of the channel hockey was on uh, but versus had the rights to the mountain west conference in college football and florida state traveled to play byu i think it was in 2007 and i discovered this channel because florida state was playing on it basically, and I wanted to watch the game, and uh, that was the first year Jimbo Fisher was the offensive coordinator. So I, uh, I didn't even know the network had existed, and apparently they had been 
been showing the NHL for three or four years at that point. So sometimes it just depends what we're interested in to discover that these channels actually exist. Yeah, so, so the, the history, I mentioned before that both Kartik and I have a history with NBCSN. And the history is that, I mean, we were... Uh, on kind of on the leading edge of making I mean a lot of these announcements and, and interviewing a lot of the personnel within NBCSN, uh, going to the NBC Sports Studio in Stamford, Connecticut, doing a behind the scenes tour, doing a, a video documentary, uh, interviewing Rebecca Lowe and the two Robbies and Carl Martino and Tim Howard, many many times in the past, writing about them. If we had to pick any channel that we've written more about. Uh, in the last 10 years, it's neck and neck between probably Fox Soccer Channel and NBCSN. Fox Soccer Channel is no more. Now NBCSN is no more. And I, t- I tweeted earlier this week, too, uh, when the news was made uh, official that uh, with NBCSN uh, shutting down on December 31st and then games moving to USA Network on January 1st onwards, is I have no affinity to USA Network. I mean, to NBCSN, I have an affinity. I have a um, a brand loyalty. I have a lot of appreciation for everything that they, they do. USA Network, to me, I remember, um, I think it was like Night Flights. They used to do music videos late at night in the 80s. I remember watching uh, World Wrestling Federation, WWF, back in the day on USA but other than that, USA Network doesn't mean much to me. Um, and, and to me, even though I know it's in more homes than NBCSN, to me, it's, it's a disappointment. What about you, Kartik? Uh, no, I'm the opposite. I actually think of it as a very mainstream network. Think of it as, a, as, a, as an upgrade for the Premier League. NBCSN, I hardly knew you. This is the way I look at it. Um, yeah, so I, I mean, I grew up watching USA Network. They had uh, the NBA rights for a little bit. They had uh, the NHL, which again, I didn't watch. But they had co- a lot of college football and a lot of college basketball. They actually had the MISL for several seasons. And when I used to watch indoor soccer, which I know now in hindsight, I say it was, a, I, I admit it's kind of a bastardization of the sport, but it was the only soccer you could watch on television uh, in, when I was a kid in the 1980s. Uh, I remember one time uh, University of Miami played University of Florida in basketball basketball on USA Network. Uh, so I watched a lot of that channel in the 80s, but then I guess in the 90s, it was only watching the, ma- the first rounds, first two rounds of the Masters were on USA Network for years, right? And the third and fourth round were on CBS. And there was that partnership between USA and CBS for many, many years around the Masters until NBC Universal bought USA and took it into the NBC uh, ecosystem of networks and, and the Masters uh, first and second round rights went elsewhere. But So I actually have always thought of it as a high-profile channel. They've had a lot of movies and dramas that I've stumbled upon through the years. I think, think of it kind of like I think of TNT or TBS. But Chris, where I would say that maybe I'm wrong is I thought Champions League going to TBS uh, – oh, sorry, to TNT, going to Turner, was going to be a great upgrade for the, for the um, tournament because I said to me – as kind of uh, an American in my 40s, uh, the Turner networks are very mainstream. You know, I grew up watching the Atlanta Braves on TBS and watching the, the, the NBA on TNT, TBS and then on TNT. So I thought it was going to really mainstream the Champions League. What it ended up doing is making the Champions League in many ways more marginal than it was on Fox, right? So it's possible that happens with USA also, and I'm misjudging this, but because I view USA very much in the same light as I view the Turner channels. Mainstream, people who are non-sports fans, Fans watch those channels all the time, and it's in more homes than the sports channels that are not ESPN-related. And I think when it comes down to it, any sports channel that's not owned by Disney is a second-tier network, whether it's a Fox network, a CBS network, or NBC Universal. I think it's, uh, if, it's not, if it's not ESPN Disney, then it's, it's, not, uh, it's not as relevant as an ESPN Disney channel. That's the concern I have about the USA Network, and, and we don't know yet because the, the details have not been announced. But USA Network, you look at a typical weekend on USA Network, and I would imagine that most of it is probably movies or entertainment shows. Uh, now, with some of the, the Premier League games being on there, are we still going to get even half an hour to an hour pregame show um, about you know from, from um, um, my Premier League morning 
you know, in Premier League uh, live on the mornings, are we still going to get uh, goal zone afterwards? Are we going to get the amount of coverage that we've been accustomed to getting from since, what, 2013 on the USA Network? Or is it that uh, as soon as the game's over, OK, cut, now we're going straight back to the movie of the day, whatever it may be? That's my concern. And we, and we don't know yet. But Kyle, what about you? What, what does USA Network say to you? I mean, is, uh, is that your go-to network? Uh, no, I think I err more on the side of Chris in the situation. Um, I got nothing against USA, but uh, a lot of the things that I watch on TV, or I should say all the things I watch on TV are, are sport-related. So in the past, uh, I never really went to USA. I mean, I do watch I mean, I watch the Premier League games on USA now, but... Uh, uh, I've, I'm from the generation that doesn't really that didn't really have too many sports on USA, so I think uh, I think Kartik's also right in that uh, Disney and ESPN are always going to be like a leg above everybody else, and they're they're the, like the the cream of the crop. Um, I it's USA to me. Uh, I think uh, it's it could be beneficial for the Premier League just because uh, it does have such a, a bigger reach comparatively with all with more just being available in more people's homes. But uh, in terms of my perception of it, um, I think you're also right, Chris, that I don't know are we going to get the same coverage or anything like that just because it'll be interesting to see if the Premier League becomes their priority and if they're going to be pushing out more more sports content or they're going to try and bring the sports lovers into watching their TV shows and movies. So, yeah, I don't know. It should be yeah. interesting. I'm... I'm I mean, it's not like a big deal to me. I'm still going to watch the game. It's not going to stop me from doing that. But yeah, I think. You know. Yeah, I think. I think what it does, though, too, it does add another degree of uncertainty. So, you mean going into any Premier League weekend for the last what, eight years? You mean if you turned on NBCSN on a Saturday morning at seven thirty? Most like ninety percent of the time, that game would be on. Sometimes, rarely, some of those games would be on Peacock. But you, you'd have a familiar familiarity with the whole weekend. If you I mean you know which channels to go to, pretty much, and and you check the schedule now and again in case there are any any big changes. Now we don't really know. I mean, we'll we'll know. We'll see. I mean, maybe the, the USA uh, games will be on the 7.30 and the 10 o'clock game, and then maybe one of the other 10 o'clock games will be on uh, Eastern Time, will be on CNBC. Uh, if CNBC has something going on, maybe it'll be on uh, the E! Entertainment Channel. But, I mean, and a lot of these games could end up moving to Peacock, too, more than we've seen in the past. The other part of the uncertainty, too, is that we don't know, we will find out in the next couple of weeks who the rights to uh, for the Premier League next season go to. So this might be a, a, a very short run. This could be USA Channel uh, broadcasting the Premier League for the second half of this season, and, and that's it. Or it could be another six-year deal or nine-year deal. It, it's Everything's up in the air. And, and that's the part that, that uh, I guess, it's just the, the timing of this is not good, I think. I mean, if, if I'm the Premier League, uh, and we know, according to a story we, we ran on World Soccer Talk back in January... We know that when the news leaked in the Wall Street Journal that NBCSN was shutting down and a lot of the games would be moving to the USA network, NBC Sports never told the Premier League. The Premier League found out through the Wall Street Journal, and they were furious. They were really upset with NBC Sports that they weren't given a heads up. So the timing of this being shut down, you mean right in the middle of the the bidding and the, the negotiation trying to get the deal and maybe they'll get the deal it's it's quite possible that they may renew that deal but to me it just does not look good um but but to NBC sports i guess uh you mean life is much bigger than the premier league the premier league is not the only thing that they they have we know that the, the number of uh, cable subscribers are going down and down and down and um NBCSN is going away quite possible in the future perhaps that fs2 might go away there might be other sports channels that get shut down and more and more moves to streaming so so i guess in some ways uh the timing isn't perfect but it was going to happen sooner or later anyway yeah let me make a suggestion to the listeners that uh, if you're dissatisfied with the lack of bumper programming as long as 
NBC does have the rights, which might, again, might end in May, May of 2022. Uh, Peacock does have the Premier League, uh, Premier League channel, Premier League TV, and they have a plethora of studio programming on that channel. I've actually watched a lot of it the last week, uh, because there have been off the, off the pitch things, Conte, uh, et cetera, uh, only before that going on in the Premier League. So, uh, that, if, if you feel like USA is not giving you the amount of studio programming that NBCSN did, uh, that's an option for, for viewers and, and fans of the Premier League. It's an option, Kartik, but I've got to say that that always pisses me off because I, I mean, I'm watching some of the, the shoulder programming maybe on a, on a Saturday morning or on a Friday in the build-up with the fantasy show that they have and the other shows and interviews, which is all good content. And then Saturday morning, as soon as the game's getting ready to start, they black yeah. out. <laughs> yeah. They black right, out right, the right. Premier League TV channel. There's no pr- yep. So they, it, for, it forces you to watch the Premier League on NBCSN or Peacock or you know, whatever channel it is. And, and that upsets me, too, because once in a while we've been able to see a little bit well, – when I've gone overseas, I've seen some of the coverage that they, they do, the Premier League live studios and stuff like that. It's not perfect, but it, it's really good at times. That's good, yeah. All right, so that is the news about NBCSN going away. And, and to me, I think it's an end of an, end of an era for soccer fans in the United States. Uh, it almost feels like to me when Fox Soccer Channel went away – um, a lot of history, a lot, a lot of good times, a lot of uh, really memorable experiences watching the Premier League on NBCSN, as well as Major League Soccer. Don't forget, uh, NBCSN had uh, MLS rights for a couple of years, and they did a really, really great job of um, broadcasting that league. They had a whip-around show. They had lots of different things that they tried. Um, to me, they raised the bar on soccer coverage in the United States. And, and just one more thing, Kartik, before we move on to the next news item. But you mentioned TNT. And and that's in my head. That's what I'm thinking with USA Network. I'm thinking, OK, is it going to be like a TNT experience where with the Champions League, which was such a roller coaster ride? Sometimes the coverage was good. Sometimes it was just, I mean, just so many mistakes. And watching CBS's coverage this week of the Champions League, it reminds me more and more of TNT's coverage is getting more into the jokey jokey laughing not 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 much analysis and having Moa do in the studio which Mo I think is is great I, I like him as an individual but having him right next to Kate Abdo it just brought back a whole bunch of memories of TNT Turner's uh, coverage of the Champions League which was overall not a good experience yeah, and this goes back to what we talked about, and we'll see uh, this uh, this break. Obviously, uh, U.S. at Jamaica will be on CBS or CBS Networks. That the uh, coverage of the U.S. men's national team is uh, on CBS is just all about the U.S. Uh, team. I didn't even get any insight into Panama. Uh, when the U.S. played Panama on CBS last month. Now, that would not happen on ESPN. In fact, it would be the opposite on ESPN. John Champion and Taylor Twellman, uh, as well as the studio, the, the guys in the studio, Seb Salazar and, and Casey Keller, etc., would be going, bending over backwards to tell you about the opposition. So uh, this is, uh, CBS is going more and more in that di- direction, not just the laughy, laughy, jokey, jokey, but uh, all about uh, American players and, and uh, how this American player is going to affect the U.S. national team. And maybe... Th- Chris, I, 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 people follow me on Twitter know that I've been really outspoken about the uh, mentality of U.S. men's national team fans, that they don't seem to recognize that there are other uh, uh, countries in CONCACAF and those countries have good players. I mean, they don't seem to know that Jonathan David and Alfonso Davies are these, these world beaters, uh, uh, Canadian players, right? And, and you can say the same thing about several Jamaican players and Honduran players, etc. Maybe part of it, and, I, and I'm blaming the fans for that, maybe part of it is, 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 the, is the Fox and CBS coverage of the, of the U.S. men's national team. Uh, maybe that's what's really driving it. And now CBS's coverage of, of the Champions League, where there seems to be exclusively a focus on, uh, on American players or American angles to matches. Kyle, have you noticed anything in regards to that in terms of um, kind of a over-focus on U.S. men's national team players playing abroad? Uh, I don't know if I noticed the over-focus on U.S. players. I did notice the lack of focus on other players, and Kartik already mentioned them, Jonathan David and Alfonso Davies. I mean, they do talk about the U.S. players and how, oh, Ricardo Pepe could become uh, a great player in the future, and I'm a, I'm as big of a Ricardo Pepe fan as you'll find, but, I mean, Jonathan David and Alfonso Davies, you could argue that 
uh, there, two of, of the better and probably best players in, in CONCACAF, and we don't really hear their names as much. And I mean, granted, the U.S. didn't play Canada in the last international window, but I think it's still worth talking about, especially since, uh, relatively speaking, I think it is fair to say uh, Canada's doing pretty well in World Cup qualifying this time around. Um, uh, I think it's hard for the U.S. just because, you know, they're without, G- or I should say it's hard for, you know, CBS or just because they don't have uh, Christian Pulisic or Gio Reyna to talk about right now just because they're out with injury. And, I mean, it's a chance to talk about some of these other players that are trying to break into the starting lineup and they have lots of potential and they're young. But uh, I think that if you're covering a soccer game, sure, you have an American audience, but I think you just have the, the duty and the responsibility to also uh, evenly cover the other team in the in the game. Yeah, I, I agree with you in terms of... Uh certainly giving a lot of time and focus and analysis on the other team. I find it weird, though, sometimes where um, there's almost a sense of duty for U.S. journalists, uh, soccer, of course, and and U.S. broadcasters to talk about Canada in such detail. Um, And and the reason, I I guess, I guess from from my from my perspective, it's a little bit different. But um, for the average U.S. soccer journalist, or average U.S. soccer broadcaster, there's the connection, and the connection is MLS, right? You got MLS with Canadian teams and U.S. teams, and it feels like a lot of coverage about the Canadian teams. It's a kind of a sense of duty because they're in the same league. Uh, for me, not being as a as big of a MLS fan and and not watching the league as closely on a day to day basis as some of the U.S. soccer journalists, uh, for me, I, it's kind of I'm probably more U.S. centric. And don't kind of focus as much on Canada as as others would. Now I, I, I see talent, I see potential, I see great players that are Canadian, they're playing in Europe, uh, etc. But uh, I just find it a little bit weird that there's, there's almost uh, so much of a focus on Canada, probably more so than Mexico in some ways. So you, even though there's, we're all part of the same uh, continent. All right, let's move on to talking about uh, the next uh, news item, which is Fox. And and this is something we talked about in last week's episode in a lot of detail. But Fox this week officially announced the news that they have acquired the rights to Euro 2024, Euro 2028, and the UEFA Nations League, which will begin in June of 2022. It, on top of that, it will also include the uh, all the qualifi- qualification matches for uh, Euro 24 and Euro 28, as well as uh, World Cup qualifiers from the UEFA region. And in addition to that, uh, many of the, the friendly games that uh, are played uh, uh, or played in, in Europe. So all in all, it's a big package. It's more than 1,500 games. Um, as of recording, um, the news hasn't been made official yet, but we're anticipating that Fubo TV will pick up a lot of the rights to these games too. Uh, Fox will go ahead and cherry pick the games that they want to show on television, obviously on Fox or FS1 or FS2, uh, maybe even Fox Soccer Plus. And then um, most of the other games then will be available through streaming through Fubo TV. What was most interesting, though, <laughs> uh, from the press release that came out from Fox is a quote. Uh, this is them describing themselves. And let me see if I can find that quote of how they fa- how they consider themselves, because they've been pretty quiet on the soccer side of things, uh, other than having, of course, the World Cup rights. But that was many, many years ago that they acquired that. But in the press release, Fox Sports are now calling themselves America's home of global national team soccer. So it makes a lot of sense. I mean, they are. You could argue easily now that they in, in the United States, they are the global home of national team soccer. They've got the World Cup, they've got the Women's World Cup, they've got the Copa America, they've got the Gold Cup, and now they have the European Championships. So that's all, all well and good. But what does that say about Major League Soccer? What does that say about their uh, reported interest in trying to acquire the rights to the Premier League? If they're the home of national team soccer... Uh, well, Kartik, what happens to MLS and what happens to the Premier League? 
Well, that can supplement it because those guys are all internationals also, and it logically builds into their coverage of uh, the Gold Cup and Copa America, that they have MLS and their coverage of the Euros, that they have the Premier League. so And, and their coverage of the World Cup, that they have both leagues. So I don't, I, I didn't read into it the, the, the same way maybe you did or some others did. I think uh, it, it's, it's, uh, that, that's, that's the thing that they'll build around because we know how fantastic those summer tournaments are in terms of television properties. Uh, although um, the fact that um, they didn't acquire the Spanish language rights for the Euros leaves it leaves a, a door ajar, basically, <laughs> for viewers to, to exit uh, stage left and watch on, on another network. But I think that it's, uh, it could be very complementary to club football. I, I don't think that it means they're exclusively going to national team uh, and international football. So I will go into this with an open mind, and I will give them an opportunity and start off with a clean slate. But um, I really hope that they raise the bar on their coverage. So I hope that they go out and hire some talented studio uh, people. I hope they hire some really good commentators. And I hope that, honestly, that they don't try to, again, Americanize the sport uh, by bringing in people uh, not for the talent, but just because of their accent. And but So I, I hope that they make the right decisions. Um, you mean, what, what, what do you guys think? Kyle, what's, what's your level of confidence that, that Fox is going to hit a home run with uh, Euro 2024 and Euro 2028 coverage? I wouldn't say my level of, of confidence is high, per se, but uh, I think I'm like you. I'm going in with an open mind because in Euro 2008, um, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, that's when uh, ESPN took over for the for Euro coverage, and they they had a pretty strong first showing. I, th- I, mean, we, I mean, you guys would know more about this than I would, but uh, was there any kind of doubt when ESPN took over? Because I know that we've talked about it before, and... Their first go around, it went really well, and then they kind of built on that and made it into one of the the great tournaments that we all get to watch uh, every four years in the summer. Um, so I wouldn't say I'm dreading it. Uh, I I'm going in. I'm I'm optimistic, um, but it's a it's a cautious optimism is is how I'll describe my my perception of Fox taking over the European Championships. Yeah, no, that's a good point because uh, ESPN. There was a lot of question marks going into that Euro 20, uh, 2008. Kartik, do you remember? Yeah, there were. And I guess they got rave reviews for bringing Andy Gray over, which I didn't think was that that uh, that, that uh, great a move. But yeah, there were question marks about how they were going to cover it, how they were going to cover a tournament without the United States in it, right? Because they hadn't had to do that previously. And what happened is they kind of evolved their coverage. They made it more intelligent. Uh, I remember Reese Davis is the studio host. I, I can't try. They must have had another studio host. Maybe, maybe Bob Lee. But I remember primarily Reese Davis. And they had Andy Gray in studio. Uh, they had uh, Derek Ray and Adrian Healy calling matches, which was, uh, uh, which, 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 which was good. And they were uh, able to kind of transition from being a very kind of MLS and U.S. national team-centric network, even in how they had covered the World Cup. Right, the 2006 World Cup. I mean, we, we complain about Fox and we're complaining about CBS now, right? And, and their hype of the U.S. national team. But really, Chris, the, the ultimate hype machine was the was ESPN going into that 2006 World Cup, where they basically left a lot of um, viewers in the U.S. who didn't know much about the sport. We didn't have all this access to club football then uh, from Europe. It wasn't it, the, the sport wasn't nearly as popular in this country as it was now. They they they, they basically made the case the U.S. could win the World Cup. They acted like the U.S. was one of the favorites in the World Cup, and they based their coverage around that. So, yeah, Kyle makes a great point. Going into 2008, now that I think back, we have a, we were very skeptical of ESPN covering the tournament. And what it ended up doing is it ended up transitioning their model from a more U, from a completely U.S. and MLS centric model to a much more kind of cosmopolitan, intelligent, broad based model. And maybe the Euros does the same thing for Fox 16 years later. Yeah, it's funny. It's because uh, we have hope that Fox can be better for the Euro 2024 and Euro 2028 because ESPN was so bad uh, after that um, 2006 World Cup. Really, really awful presentation. The worst World Cup Cup on U.S. television was ESPN in 2006. It was awful. And and, and the turning point, though, was Euro 2008. That that was the turning point. We had, uh, I think, Derek Gray did a bunch of those, those games. Like you said, Andy Gray and Bob Lee and others, and they made a serious commitment 
to say, okay, we're not going to talk down to the audience. We're going to go ahead and talk intelligently, really share the passion uh, for the games and not focus on, on, on the U.S. Well, obviously, the U.S. wouldn't have been in a year or two, uh, 2008. But you're, um, World Cup t- 2006, for those that remember, Dave O'Brien was the lead commentator <laughs> from ESPN, a baseball announcer that had never done soccer before. And, and it was awful, absolutely awful. So, so, so Fox has an opportunity to, to right the wrongs that they've and, done. And specifically on the Fox issue, Alexi Lawless, we had doubts about going into Euro 2008 and Euro 2012, right? And he raised his game in the studio for, I, I know newer fans may not want to hear this because there's a, Lawless is a very polarizing figure. But he showed at ESPN when they covered the Euros, he could pivot into a very kind of intelligent Euro analyst. I mean, a lot of what Lawless does, I think we, 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 we would all acknowledge his shtick, right? <laughs> it's, it's, you know, right. He's even Max. come on our podcast and said he, he, his job is to entertain. So uh, he, he can pivot and be this kind of savvy, soccer-savvy um, uh, analyst who takes things from a, a perspective of a former defender and analyzes games that way. And he did that in, ES, in the ESPN studio uh, during the Euros when in 2006 he was every bit as, as – uh, U.S. centric and as bad, really, as he's been at times on Fox. So I actually have a lot of faith, more faith uh, than everybody else, that Lawless will probably be a good studio uh, uh, pundit. Now I don't know who they'll have host uh, if it's going to be Rob Stone and, and and how that goes, or they'll probably have to have a rotation. But uh, yeah, I, I think Kyle makes a great point raising ESPN in 2008. I, I now that we think back, Fox. Our expectations for Fox are probably higher than they were for ESPN going into that Euro, and they did hit it out of the park. So, Kartik, we talked a lot about uh, NBCSN and the end of the era for them. This is an end of an era for ESPN's coverage of uh, European championships from 2008 all the way through to 2020. It's been a great ride. I mean, that Euro 2008 did set a kind of a, a milestone for a turning point for ESPN. And their coverage, I mean, tournament after tournament seemed to get better and better. Um, they really perfected really kind of the model that, that they've been doing. Um, and it is top class. It is a uh, it, it, it's, it's strange in a way because it, it felt watching European championships on ESPN, the level of coverage often felt like it was you were watching a World Cup tournament. And you could compare the Euros to the World Cup and say, okay, yeah, it's a different type of tournament. You mean different teams, obviously. But the level of you mean analysis, the level of production, the level of talent that was available, that were brought in to call the games uh, on site, etc. I mean, it's, it's been a fun ride with ESPN. And, um, I mean, hats off to them for, for some really, really strong years of European soccer uh, focus that that nowadays for an average soccer fan in the United States, the Euros mean something. It's really a meaningful tournament. I I go back to before the Euro 2008, probably 2004 Euros. I was watching it on pay-per-view. You mean each game was available for like, I don't know, 20 bucks, 25 bucks per game. We've come a long way. And I think a lot lot of that is due to uh, ESPN. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't find a place uh, to to show me the Czech Republic uh, Greece semifinal match uh, that I was desperate to watch in two thousand four, and I never saw the match uh, because I was going from from pub to pub, what I thought were soccer pubs, and no one was no one had paid the pay per view uh, for um, that match in two thousand four. So yeah, those were dark days, and now the European Championship is maybe not on par with the World Cup, but is is seen as a very big deal for a lot of American soccer fans, a lot of fans in this country. In fact, I. I it's not on par with the World Cup, but it is kind of in some ways on par with the World Cup with some fans. So uh, that's a lot of that is ESPN, and we have to give them full full marks for it. And I would I would say that their coverage got gradually um, smarter and better through the years. The 2016 European Championships are arguably the best coverage we've ever had of a major international tournament in the U.S. The way uh, ESPN was able, and it was also circumstances, right? Because of what, um, general strikes in Paris and, and, and hooliganism from, from Russian fans and English fans, et cetera, and, and Croatian fans, that they were able to take the elements of their smart kind of cosmopolitan coverage that they had developed by that time. Having experienced studio hosts like Bob Lee, 
and Mike Tirico, you know, the best of the best in the U.S. And then they brought in Steve Bauer for that tournament, who's, I, for me, one of the best presenters from the U.K. And uh, also had the resources of ABC News and ABC News' bureau in Paris. And uh, to me, that's still the model. That was the best tournament coverage I think we've ever seen on U.S. television was Euro 2016 from ESPN. Yeah, I have to wonder, too, about uh, talent at ESPN because – you look at um, the Euros going away from ESPN. You look at the possibility of them losing the rights to U.S. men's national team and U.S. women's national team games uh, in the deal coming up soon that uh, it looks like ESPN may not get those rights. We'll have to wait and see on, on the final decision there. Uh, there's a lot of question marks about whether or not um, ESPN will get the rights to Major League Soccer. Uh, that's a possibility. But given all of those kind of dark clouds there's also the possibility that they might get the premier league so in many ways uh whether espn gets the premier league uh, and or continues their deal with mls will determine i think in many ways whether some of the, the talent sticks around at espn or ends up moving to other places one person that stands out in that is taylor twelman who i understand his contract is up within the next 12 months that could be a person that could, might say, you know what, uh, maybe I'll look at, uh, have, a, have some talks with Fox and, and see. I mean, they have the World Cup, they have the Women's World Cup, they have the Euros, uh, and of course, all the other tournaments too, Copa America, Gold Cup, etc. If they do acquire um, either MLS or the Premier League, some of those rights, that's a possibility. You could actually see some of the talent uh, moving from place to place also. All right, let's move on to Kyle. Kyle, you've got uh, some news, too, to share. Yeah, a relatively small one compared to his speaking, but uh, Jeff Stelling, he announced that this season's going to be his last as the lead presenter for uh, Sky Soccer Saturday. And I'm not sure how many American fans are actually going to know who Jeff Stelling is. Uh, I think uh, during the, uh, the Ted Lasso Season 2, uh, he was the one who was on the show with... Uh, uh, Roy Kent is uh, how people might know him now, but uh, he does exist in real life. He's a real person. Um, he uh, he hosts a, a show that's kind of like a, a whip around show, covers all the tiers of uh, of professional English soccer. Uh, every Saturday, they do all the afternoon kickoffs, and they send out reporters everywhere for those who don't know what uh, Sky Soccer Saturday is. But yeah, he's kind of a, an icon for uh, for Sky. Uh, he joined the program in 1994. He's been doing that ever since, uh, this whip-around coverage. So uh, it's a, a tough day for fans of his. Uh, I know uh, he provides a lot of energy, a lot of uh, fun commentary. It's, just, it's an overall enjoyable program to watch, Sky Soccer Saturday. So, uh, yeah, a tough day for, for, for that. Uh, obviously, he's going to have the rest of the season, of course. But, uh, yeah, uh, mm-hmm. farewell, Jeff Stelling. That's right. Yeah, yeah, definitely a legacy of uh, British uh, football coverage. All right, let's move on to listener mailbag. First up is RJ. RJ says, we've heard a lot of speculation on where the English language rights might go, to, uh, go for the Premier League for the next contract cycle. But I was curious if you know the plan for the Spanish language rights. NBC, Telemundo are a natural fit. Are there other networks that might partner with a Spanish language network or will it be two separate packages? So great question. In many ways, it it depends. So if it's a Fox Sports putting in a bid, uh, they would be smart to go ahead and combine that with the Fox Deporters for the Spanish language audience. Same thing with ESPN, ESPN, ESPN Deporters. It's smart to kind of uh, go for both the Spanish language and the English language rights. Uh, Univision is always one that could uh, partner with somebody or just pick up the, the Spanish language rights for that. Um, Kartik, any, any thoughts on this one? Yeah, I. Uh, this is where Univision has always been at a distinct disadvantage vis-a-vis Telemundo in terms of uh, – in, in terms of their kind of ownership model. And we know now with the Televisa uh, situation, may, maybe Univision's approaching things a little differently uh, than they did previously. Will they then partner with somebody? Uh, I think it's possible if it's CBS or, um, you know, ESPN still wants to, wants to do things in Spanish and get, and get Spanish language subscribers to, uh, to ESPN Plus, which I don't think is ideal, really, for the, for the Spanish language audience. And Deportes is really faded in importance as a channel. In fact, it's been dropped by some cable systems. So 
uh, or dropped a tier. I mean, it's offered by everybody. Disney channels are all offered uh, by every cable system, but the, it's been dropped a tier in, in some cable systems. So I think um, yeah, I think maybe CBS would be the best bet for that. Uh, but this is where the Premier League has to think about, again, NBC's utility. Because NBC's utility is that they bring Telemundo to the table also. Now, we haven't seen the huge uptick in ratings in Spanish that maybe we would like to have over the course of the last nine years where um, NBC Universal has had the rights and Telemundo and, and Universo have been showing uh, matches. And Universo, I guess, was Mundos, right, before. Uh, where those channels owned by uh, Comcast, NBC Universal, have been showing the Premier League. But uh, I, I think they have, they, it's probably a better bet in terms of getting the Spanish language, a Spanish language audience more engaged to keep it, uh, it on NBC, within NBC's family. So that's, uh, that's something you have to consider. And I think that there's also maybe the sentimental aspect of you've had Andres Cantor, who is a legend and, and is known as a legend even in the U.K., calling Premier League matches now regularly for several seasons because Telemundo has had the rights. So that's, that might be another thing we hadn't talked about previously, Chris, and I wrote a whole article about this and, and, and neglected to mention this. That might be another factor that's in uh, NBC's favor is that they have, uh, they have contour at, at Telemundo, and that's, uh, that, that's a big deal in terms of perception and, and, and name and gravitas for the Premier League. Yeah. However, though, I mean, Telemundo still got struggles as far as uh, I mean, they definitely have the best broadcaster, the commentator, but they they don't they're not HD in in many cities nationwide. Univision's got more bandwidth as far as channels that they could show um, and have Tuduene, which is a dedicated sports channel. I mean, Telemundo's it's sharing with telenovelas and uh, and other dramas, etc. Same thing with Universo. So I think Univision has has the edge there. If they could always, if they could hire Andres Cantor, which I don't see happening, that would be, I mean, a dream come true there for um, for Univision. Mike says, although I don't uh, have any interest in the English Premier League, I was recently asked to complete a survey uh, that sought my interest level and opinions on Premier League content and games appearing on Amazon Prime. Not only was I surprised by getting asked to complete the survey, I was surprised by how much the add-on would cost. Without going into specifics, partly because I don't know if I'm able to discuss it, the price would rival a NBA League Pass or NFL Sunday ticket subscription cost. If nothing else, the survey convinced me that Amazon is extremely interested in acquiring some form of the rights for the Premier League is it possible that, say, NBC gets partial rights to air the biggest game or two of the week and Amazon Prime would have the season pass for everything else? Currently, NBC has a similar deal with the NFL in that they are able to move a more appealing NFL game that was previously scheduled for a 1 p.m. or 4 p.m. time slot to their Sunday night game of the week. And that's a great point by Mike and some, some great insight is we probably haven't discussed Amazon as much as they sh- uh, should be discussed because, I mean, it solves the English language, Spanish language issue. I mean, if they had rights to, say they acquire the rights to everything, one package, and, and they, they go for everything. And now to watch the Premier League, the only place to go to is Amazon and Amazon Prime Video, English language and Spanish language. Um that's a possibility, or it could be a deal with like, Amazon could, could do a deal with Univision where Amazon says, OK, we're going to stream all the games in English. If you want to watch the games in Spanish, they're on Univision. What about you, Kyle? Do you have uh, Amazon Prime and, and uh, would you be interested in how much would you, how much would you pay for an add on kind of a subscription pass for uh, for all the Premier League rights uh, for all the games? But I, do have Amazon, I do have Amazon Prime, but I don't use it for video and I'm, I'm i'm sure i'm missing out on something there in terms of just content in general but uh really amazon prime for me is just can i get my packages in two days um but uh <clears throat> uh can you do you know how much uh an add-on for like the nba league pass or nfl sunday ticket usually costs because uh i use fubo tv and uh, those kind of come in that package so I don't know how much a specific and uh, just set-aside yeah. add-on costs for those specific leagues. And I think if in order to make any kind of 
uh, assessment or judgment in, in terms of how much I'll pay for the Premier League. I would need to know how much the American leagues cost first, okay. especially since it's, you know. Okay, all right, guys. All right, so here we go. So the price tag for NBA League Pass for the full season is $200. Or you, or you can pay $30 a month. So, so would that be – is that something you would sign up for? I think so. If it's just, I mean, it's $200, and that gives you access to every game outside of a handful that if, uh, if what Mike's talking about, NBC just uh, handpicking a couple every weekend. I think $200 seems like a, a fair enough price, um, especially since, what, I, I'm blanking on the number of games in a season. So yep, it's 380 yeah, I mean, so you figure at least 300 games would be selectively on Amazon Prime. So I think that's a, a fair enough price, especially for uh, a real soccer fan that tries to follow as many games as possible and keep up with the league in general, as opposed to just the, the big six teams, or the major storylines, which I'm sure NBC, if this was the case, that they would try to focus on and get those games onto their channels. So, so, Kartik, so, Kartik, so, so, so we go with a monthly subscription price of $29 a month. Now, there are people that complain about ESPN Plus being too expensive. There's people that complain about Peacock being too expensive. I mean, you, you go all through every single streaming option that is a paid streaming option. People complain, complain about the price. But $29 a month, do you think that is doable for the majority of, of soccer fans? Um, I'm, I'm not sure I'm the person to ask necessarily because um, – I've done add-ons on Amazon Prime already. Like I do, I get stars every month via Amazon Prime in the History Vault. And I paid for NBC Sports Gold, which was a ridiculous price considering it gave you like 30% of the games. So based on that rate, $200 for all the game is about the same as NBC Sports Gold was. Okay. Well, in some in some ways, we're probably like the worst people to ask on this question, because I, I I'm paying two hundred and fifty dollars a year for a subscription to watch uh, every single Swansea City home and away game, um, and you I mean, I mean, yes, two hundred dollars for the whole season for the Premier League is a big number to to consider, but I guess if you break it down to the per game level. Um, and had access to all those games, uh, it probably wouldn't be as bad. Or, or the $30 a month, that's a lot of money. But for fans, I guess for the hardcore fans, that would be something for the most of us that if we're interested in watching the Premier League, I think we'd be okay with paying if we had access to every single game. Um, even if some of the games were on television, we would want to have access to every single game. We wouldn't ha- want to have to jump through hoops. But yeah, there's definitely... Um, it's definitely a possibility, definitely something to consider. Let's move on because we've got a bunch more to go to. Serie A, uh, David's got a question here. He says, a while back, Paramount Plus said they would provide Italian language commentary for Serie A games. What happened to this? I have tried using the um, Android phone app, the Roku app, and the Chrome browser to watch Serie A games, but there's, there does not seem to be an Italian language option. Is Italian only available using certain versions of the Paramount Plus app. So uh, in regards to that, David, we will have a story. uh, By the time we publish this podcast, we'll have a story on worldsoccertalk.com that will go into detail and will explain to soccer fans uh, exactly how you can go ahead and get uh, watch the games uh, in Italian if you want to. From this past weekend, from what I understand, every single game was in Italian, available in Italian, as well as, of course, uh, English language. But uh, depending on what device you're using, there's a, a few different steps you can take. But we'll spell those out on worldsoccertalk.com uh, to show you how that works. Moving on, JP, in regards to last week's conversation about MLS TV rights and uh, TV ratings and uh, the whole question mark about um, watching games locally on, on regional sports channels versus nationally on, uh, you mean, kind of your ESPNs or Foxes, etc. JP says, sure, I've said this before, but the fixation on Major League Soccer's national popularity should not be the focus. It's a regional sport, just like all the other sports on the American landscape, except for football and maybe NBA for a few select teams only, though. Like all other sports fans here, 
fans follow their local team and might uh, follow nationally for the for the playoffs. MLS is no different, except the fan involvement for the playoffs, uh, if their team is involved, is far less than other sports due to the popularity of soccer. This model works perfectly fine for Major League Baseball and National Hockey League, where teams usually have very good attendance, but national TV ratings for regular season are lacking, though local ratings on RSNs um, are very good in most markets. Dave says, great points by JP about uh, baseball and NHL as analogs for MLS. Layer on that, Major League Baseball and NHL are arguably worldwide pinnacles of their sport. MLS is good and improving, but few would argue it is the worldwide pinnacle of soccer, where a devoted baseball fan probably watches national Major League Baseball games. A devoted soccer fan may or may not watch national MLS games. Greg says, Kartik has a good point that there are too many damn teams in the league. Yes, the European leagues have around three times or four times um, as long as, have been around for three times or four times as long as Major League Soccer, but they also have 18 to 20 teams. So it's easier to keep track of them, especially considering 15 are perennials. And the others are usually rebounders. Only every once in a while do you have to get to know a brand new team and players. So yes, focusing on national ratings for Major League Soccer is a fool's game. They should focus on local ratings and attendance, away matches on air, on free or local low-cost TV streaming options, build loyalty to that club in that city, develop strong uh, rivalries, and market big stars and teams league-wide the way that Major League Baseball, NBA, NFL do. Having a marquee league players or teams is good, gives casual fans something to pull them in, gives local fans something to root against. Of course, they'll never do promotion relegation, but that would be great in terms of adding jeopardy to the results. So some really good feedback there from Greg, Dave, and uh, JP. My my thing with this, I, I totally understand where uh, all three are coming from, but Major League Soccer is competing against La Liga. It's competing against the Premier League. It's competing against Liga MX. It's got a lot of tough competition that NBA doesn't have, that NHL doesn't have, that NFL doesn't have. So when you're competing for your audience, you have to develop a national strategy in terms of trying to get more people watching those games nationally. Because at the end of the day, uh, when it comes times for TV rights deals, if your numbers are stagnating or dropping um, and the competition is uh, increasing slightly or, or, or greater, then you're going to lose out on that TV money and that's going to get harder and harder as, as the time goes by. The, the, the entire kind of construct over the value of regional sports networks was based on how popular baseball is in some of those markets. And again, everyone makes good comments that baseball is not getting... Uh, the, the great national ratings that it once did, actually. But uh, regionally, locally, MLB has a huge context uh, that increases the values of those RSNs, which MLS doesn't. So it's aspirational to say MLS is trying to achieve that because they're not there. So not only do they not have a national TV strategy, in most of their local markets, they're nowhere near the relevance of an MLB uh, franchise or, or, or an NBA team. All right, let's move on. Uh, Liga MX. Dave says there was discussion about the popularity of Liga MX teams relative to Major League Soccer and Europe in the United States. A commenter, uh, commenter noted that uh, Chivas can outdraw Galaxy for a game in Los Angeles, while Carl noted the scarcity of Liga MX jerseys in uh, the Tampa area of central Florida. You may already be aware that the distribution of national origin among the Hispanic population varies significantly by geography. In Los Angeles, most of the Hispanic population is of Mexican origin. By contrast, most of the Hispanic population in Florida is not of Mexican origin. And and totally, yeah, we we, we get that. and it's good to note, but it is one of those things. I think, to me, I go back to the language more so, um, where there aren't a lot of English language fans of Liga MX, um, but there are, for example, 
tons of Spanish language and English language language uh, fans of Real Madrid or Barcelona. Last question here is from Chris. Chris says, as a Fubo subscriber for almost two years, I am very impressed with how much they have grown since then. They have become my they have become my alternative to cable because I am able to watch my favorite leagues like the Premier League and have been able to follow leagues like Liga Max and Ligue, uh, Ligue 1 much more closely. Also, Fubo is one of the few providers in the U.S. that carries BN Sports. There is something that I've always wanted to ask you guys about the World Cup rights beyond 2026. My question is, who do you see as the favorites for those rights, especially if Fox decides not to renew? That's a great question, and uh, it could be anyone, really. And when you think about it, I mean, CBS has come out of nowhere in the last uh, couple of years and has acquired a lot of the rights. Um, that's definitely something that uh, I'm sure they'd be interested in. Um, I mean, you go down the list. I mean, ESPN would be interested, especially after having not had the rights for so long and having lost those to um, to Fox. Uh, NBC at that point might be interested in getting it, especially uh, given uh, they got the Olympics. I mean, that's an opportunity to. I mean, I, th I think it's anyone's game, um, and and who's the favorite? It, it's so it's too it's too early to tell, really. All right, guys. If you have, if you have something that you want to ask us, we'd love to read your comments out on air. You can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com, as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk, and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Plus, of course, you can always post your comments on worldsoccertalk.com. So in closing, uh, be sure to listen to the podcast every Thursday on your favorite uh, uh, podcast players, whether it's uh, Amazon Music, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, Audioboom, Overcast, and worldsoccertalk.com and if you like the show share it with your friends on social media and give us a review on the iTunes or Apple uh, podcasts uh, we'd really appreciate it in Kartik this is the final weekend before the international break <sighs> what should they do? enjoy your football Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.